You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. As well, you can hear these podcasts at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, which are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of Collected Works, Volume 125, by Rudolf Steiner, entitled Paths and Goals of the Spiritual Human Being, Life Questions in the Light of Spiritual Science, 14 Lectures, translated by Christian von Arnhem. This is Lecture 8, given in Berlin on the 31st of October, 1910. Quote, The light of the sun is flooding the breaths of space. The song of the birds is filling the heights of air. The tender plants are shooting from the kind earth. And human souls, in reverent gratitude, rise to the spirits of the world. Close quote. As those of you who attended the performance of the Rosicrucian Mystery in Munich will know, this children's song introduced the content of this mystery. During this hour, a number of spiritual scientific things will develop before us, following on from what lies in this mystery, we might say, has been given life. It is, if I may say so, a long spiritual process which led to this mystery. When I look or look back on it, its seeds go back to the year 1889. It is not just approximately, but with a precision which can be observed in these things, that I am taken back to the source of this Rosicrucian mystery. And I can trace very precisely which paths these seeds followed in these three times seven years, and they did so, I may say, without any particular input by myself in that they led a life of their own in these three times seven years. It is very peculiar to follow such seeds on their path until they reach what we might call composition. They follow a path which we might call going into the underworld. There they need seven years to descend, then they return, and for this ascent they again required seven years. Then they have arrived at the point where they were basically, with regard to the human being, when they started their descent. And then they continue on the other side for seven years in the other direction. We might say ascend to the heights. That gives us two times seven years plus seven years, that is twenty-one years. At that point one can start with composition, with some prospect that what is intended with these seeds really can take shape. And if I were not aware that an independent organism, which has truly led a life of three times seven years within itself, lives in this Rosicrucian mystery, I would not dare to continue talking about it in any way. But thus I feel not only justified, which is not the issue, but in a certain way obliged also to speak about those things which not only live between the lines, not just in the characters, not just in the what and the how, but what also I don't even want to say lives, but has to live in many things specifically of this Rosicrucian mystery. I have mentioned on several occasions since the Munich performance of this Rosicrucian mystery something which, after all, is true, 
that I would not have to say anything more about many, many things in the esoteric, the occult field, that I would not be required to give any more lectures if all those things which it contains acted on the souls of our dear friends and many another person directly from out of the Rosicrucian mystery. And in words such as they are commonly used in lectures, I would have to say many, many things, not just for days, weeks or months, but for years, if I wanted to outline what the Rosicrucian mystery intends and is able to say. All the things which you find, and with regard to occult things, it is certainly justified to speak like this, in a kind of stammering speech, in the book titled Knowledge of the Higher Worlds, How Is It Achieved?, the things it contains as a description of the path up into the higher worlds, all those things combined with what it was permissible to say in another form entitled Occult Science and Outline can basically be found in a much more intensive, true-to-life and real way in the Rosicrucian mystery. In a book such as, for example, titled Knowledge of the Higher Worlds, How Is It Achieved?, we can only bring what we want to say about human development in such a way that it is, in a sense, applicable to each human individuality which embarks on the path into the higher worlds in a specific way, to any human individuality. This gives such a book something of an abstract character for all its concrete nature, we might say a half-theoretical character. Because we have to understand one thing, development is not development as such. There is no development as such no development in general. There is only the development of the one or the other or the third or the fourth or the thousandth human being. And as many people as there are in the world, so many developmental processes there have to be. Hence the truest description of the occult path of knowledge must in general have a character which in a certain sense is not congruous with an individual development. If we truly want to represent development, as it can be seen in the spiritual world, then this can only happen if we frame the development of an individual person, if we implement in the individuality what is true for all human beings. If the book titled Knowledge of the Higher Worlds, How Is It Achieved?, in a certain sense contains the beginning of the developmental secret of every person, then the Rosicrucian mystery contains the developmental secret of a single person, of Johannes Tomasius. So it was a long path from all those things which are occult developmental laws down to the individual truly real person. And in this developmental process, on this path, something had to be almost completely reversed which is contained in title knowledge of the higher worlds and which might become theoretical there. If it should not become theory, Specifically, if it should become art, it has to be reversed completely, because the laws of art are very special ones. And just as there are laws of nature, so there are laws of art which should not be handled with normal human consciousness, because then the only thing to result is something like brittle allegory. The laws of art must be handled like nature itself handles its laws when it creates a human being an animal, or a plant. If what we can know about the world, looked at from one angle, is that we look into the world and it reveals its laws and secrets to us, then that which must appear in art 
and in each art is something which has to be laid into the artwork concerned from the other side through the opposing sense. That is why the worst possible interpretation of a work of art would be one which attempted to introduce concepts and ideas, laws, which we know from some place else into a poetic work. And a person who would introduce abstract or symbolic concepts into a given work of art would not shape something artistic. That is why it would be one of the worst methods with regard to works of art from the past in which real occult forces were at work, such as in title Faust, for example, if we were to seek concepts and ideas which are familiar to us again in the works of art. Such bad habits were rife for a time in the theosophical movement in the most awful way. Indeed, I can recall something which happened last year when we performed Charest's drama titled The Children of Lucifer, how the author of this drama, who is an artist in the best sense of the word, was horrified when someone approached him with the question, Does this character mean Atma? Does this figure mean Buddhi? This figure Manas? This one Kama Manas? And so on. This type of allegory would be impossible in an artistic process. That is why it has to be impossible in any explanation, in any interpretation. That is why we can also say that we should not reflect on what in anthroposophical terms is Johannes Thomasius. There is only one answer to this question. As the main character of this poetic work, he is none other than Johannes Thomasius. He is nothing other at all than this living figure of Johannes Thomasius, which contains nothing but the developmental secret of an individual person, namely, of Johannes Thomasius. As soon as we talk about the individual characters in general, there is one thing missing. The missing thing is what is indicated in the words of the drama, in the lines, quote, Within our circle there is formed a knot of threads that karma spins, world-fashioning, close quote. No development takes place at any point of human existence without the surrounding threads being knotted in this development which karma spins in cosmic existence. And we cannot draw any individual development without showing how everything plays in the occult environment, that is, in the physical environment, but as it is seen with the forces which are behind the physical environment. That is why Johannes Thomasius has to be placed into the human environment out of which his development grows into the real physical human world. And that is why the drama had to have a dual introduction. The first introduction shows what the world looks like with regard to the external world in which the threads are knotted for Johannes Thomasius, which spin karma in cosmic existence. We could ask, did what this world looks like from outside have to be shown? Did it have to be shown particularly in the prelude? It had to be shown. And not everything would have been done if it had not been shown. It had to be shown because the world in which karma spins its knots is different at the time of the fifth millennium before the Christian era, different again three hundred years before the Christian era, and different again a thousand years after the start of the Christian period, 
and different again in our present time. The exoteric, external world is also a different one, and it is connected with its karma, with what becomes the environment for the person who is developing. Thus, the circle is drawn from outside inward, and inside there is then the small circle in which Johannes Tomasius himself stands. That is the second thing. In the outside world, these are minor waves. In the smaller circle, waves surged up high. But they can only show themselves as they foam up in the soul of Johannes Tomasius himself. That is why we are first taken to the physical plane. The physical plane is shown to us in such a way that the threads are indicated, which are spun by karma everywhere within the physical plane. Anyone who looks into any physical circle with occult eyes will find that everywhere the threads go from person to person and that they intertwine in a remarkable way. There are people who appear in life to have little to do with one another, but between soul and soul are spun the most important, the most significant threads. All these things are knotted, and all these things have gradually to be shown in such a way that there is a clear pointer, as it were, to any given knot. Another time they can only be shown in a subtle indicative way, because they are in the process of developing. These things have to be referred to where the matter takes place on the physical plane, where we are in a purely physical environment, where people come together from a great variety of backgrounds. Externally they talk about this and that, but in talking externally they are manifestations of karma. All the people whom we meet at first on the physical plane are karmically linked with one another, and that is the key thing, that they are karmically linked. There is not a single invented case. There is an occult foundation for everything. All of it threads which can live, and these threads are very remarkable. You can get an idea of the remarkable nature of these threads when you put together figures such as Felix Balda and Frau Balda on the one hand, and Capacius and Strader on the other hand. The content of what they say in their words is not the most important thing. The most important thing is that it is these persons who say it. And these persons are living persons, not persons who have been thought up. They are, for example, very well known to me. With known I do not mean thought up, but standing and alive. They are real, and particularly also the figure of Professor Capacius, of whom I have become very fond, is a figure taken from life. And it is our world. That is why there had to occur the remarkable event which is presented by the seer Theodora, who can sometimes look into the future and predicts the remarkable event which will still arrive before the end of the twentieth century as the next Christ event. That is something which can be karmically interpreted. It would be wrong if there was an equally clear pointer to other events. Then the karmic relationship, which exists between Frau Balda and Professor Capacius, is indicated in the peculiar connection which the fairy tales told by Frau Balda have on Capacius. Karmic threads are indicated which arise in Strader's heart to the seer Theodora, since he is particularly moved by her, 
All of these are threads which lie in an occult way behind what takes place externally on the physical plane. These threads are spun by karma, as if aiming for a point. This one point is Johannes Tomasius. That is where they meet. And within the story on the physical plane, a light is illuminated in the soul of Johannes Tomasius, a light which creates terrible waves in his soul, but which, at the same time, sparks his esoteric development as a very specific individual one, as the crossing of his own karma with the cosmic karma. That is why we see the impression which is made on him by what exists around him on the physical plane, and how the greatness in his soul, the unconscious, presses up to the higher worlds. Now this journey into the higher worlds must not start rudderless. It must be steered and guided. There then enters into all these relationships the person whom you see described as the actual leader of this circle, but at the same time as the one who knows about the cosmic relationships, as the one who sees through the knot which karma spins in cosmic development. Benedictus comes in, and he becomes the leader. The karma at work in Johannes Tomasius, which would work perhaps through millennia or millennia of millennia, is ignited at a very specific moment through a karmic relationship between Benedictus and Johannes Tomasius, which is subtly indicated in the scene in the meditation room. Here we stand at a point at which a human being destined for development through karma, strives up into the higher worlds. And so, that he does not strive upward like a blind person, he is guided in the right way by Benedictus. What is meant by that will be revealed when, now, a number of passages concerned are performed. The recitation of the whole of scene three follows. Benedictus, Johannes, Maria, Child. Quote, Maria, I bring to thee this child who needs some word from out thy mouth, Benedictus. My child, henceforth each eve thou shalt come unto me to hear the word that shall fill full thy soul ere thou dost tread the realm of souls in sleep. Wilt thou do this? Child, most gladly will I come. Benedictus, this very eve fill thy soul full ere sleep embraceth thee, with strength from these few words. The powers of light bear me aloft unto the spirit's home. Maria, having taken the child away. Maria, and now that this child's destiny doth flow harmoniously through future days, beneath the shadow of thy gracious fatherhood, I too may claim my leader's kind advice, who am its mother, not by bond of blood, but through the mighty power of destiny. For thou hast shown to me the way wherein I had to guide its footsteps from that day, when I discovered it before my door, left by its unknown mother desolate. And wonder working proved themselves those rules whereby thou madest me train my foster child. All powers that deep in body and in soul lay hidden issued forth to light and life. Clear proof it was that all thy counseling sprang from the realm which sheltered this child's soul before it built its body's covering. 
we saw its early promise blossom forth and radiate more brightly each new day. Thou dost know well how hard it was for me to gain the child's affection at the first. It grew up neath my care, and yet naught else save habit chained its soul at first to mine. It only realized and felt that I gave it the nurture and the food that served the needs of body and the growth of soul. Then came the time when in the childlike heart there dawned the love for her who fostered it. An outer incident brought forth this change, the visit of the seeress to our group. Gladly the child did go about with her and soon did learn full many a beauteous word steeped in the mystic charm that graced her speech. Then came the moment when her ecstasy descended on our friend with magic power. The child could see her eyes, strange smoldering light, and terrified unto the vital core, the young soul found itself. In her dismay she fled unto mine arms, and from that hour did grow her love for me. Since that same time she doth accept from me the gifts of life with her full consciousness, not with blind instinct. Aye, and since that day when this young heart first quivered into warmth, whene'er her gaze met mine with loving glance, thy wisdom's treasures of their fruitage failed, and much already ripe hath withered up. I saw appear in her those tokens strange that proved so terrible unto my friend. A dark enigma am I to myself, and grow still darker. Thou wilt not deny to solve for me life's fearful questionings. Why do I mar the life of friend and child, when I in love attempt to work on them according to the dictates of my heart, by spirit lore, instructed and inspired? Oft hast thou taught me this exalted truth, Illusions veil or spreads life's surfaces. Yet must I see with greater clarity why I must bear this heavy destiny that seems so cruel and that works such harm. Benedictus Within our circle there is formed a knot of threads that karma spins, world-fashioning. Thy sufferings, my friend, are links in chains forged by the hand of destiny whereby the deeds of gods unite with human lives. When in life's pilgrimage I had attained that rank which granted me the dignity to serve with counsel in the spirit's spheres, a godlike being did draw nigh to me, who would descend into the realms of earth and dwell there veiled in form of flesh as man. For just at this one turning point of time, the karma of mankind made this demand. For each great step in world development is only possible when gods do stoop to link themselves with human destiny. In this new spirit sight that needs must grow and germinate henceforth in souls of men can only be unfolded when a god doth plant the seed within some human heart. My task it was to find that human soul, which worthy seemed to take within itself the powerful seed of God. I had to join the deed of heaven to some human lot. My spirit's eye, E.Y.E., then sought and fell on thee. 
Thy course of life had fitted thee to be the mediator in salvation's work. Through many former lives thou hadst acquired receptiveness for all the greatest things that human hearts can e'er experience. Within thy tender soul thou didst bring forth as spirit heritage the noble gift of beauty joined to virtue's loftiest claim, and that which thine eternal self had formed and brought to being through thy birth on earth did reach ripe fruitage when thy years were few. Thou didst not scale steep spirit heights too soon, nor grew thy yearning for the spirit land before thou hadst the full enjoyment known of harmless pleasures in the world of sense. Anger and love thy soul did learn to know when thy thoughts dwelt yet far from spirit life. Nature in all her beauty to enjoy and pluck the fruits of art, these didst thou strive to make thy life's sole content and its wealth. Merry thy laughter, as a child can laugh, who hath not known as yet life's shadowed fears. Thus thou didst learn to understand life's joy, and mourn in sadness, each in its own time, before thy dawning conscience grew to seek of sorrow and of happiness the cause, a ripened fruit of many lives, that soul that enters earth's domains and shows such moods. Its childlike nature is the blossoming and not the ground root of its character. And such a soul alone was I to choose as mediator for the God, who sought the power to work within our human world. And now thou learnest that thy nature must transform itself into its opposite, when it flows forth to other human souls. The spirit in thee ripens whatsoever in human nature can attain the realm of vast eternity and much it slays that is but part of transitory realms. And yet the sacrifices of such deaths are but the seeds of immortality. All that which blossoms forth from death below must grow unto the higher life above. Maria, e'en so it is with me, thou givest me light, but light that doth deprive me of my sight, and sunder me from mine own self in twain. Then do I seem some spirit's instrument, no longer master of myself. No more do I endure that erstwhile form of mine, which only is a mask and not the truth. Johannes, O friend, what ails thee? Vanished is the light that filled thine eye, Iwai, as marble is thy frame. I grasp thine hand and find it cold as death. Benedictus, my son, full many trials have come to thee, and now thou standest before life's hardest test. Thou seest the carnal covering of thy friend, but her true self doth float in spirit spheres before mine eyes. Johannes, see, her lips move, she speaks. Maria, Thou gavest me clearness, yet this clearness throws a veil of darkness round on every side. I curse thy clearness, and I curse thee too, who didst make tool of me for weird, wild arts, whereby thou wilt to deceive mankind. 
no doubt at any moment hitherto, had crossed my mind of heights thy spirit reached. But now one single moment doth suffice to tear all faith in thee from out my heart. Those spirit beings thou art subject to, I now must recognize as hellish fiends. Others I had to mislead and deceive, because at first I was deceived by thee. But I will flee unto dim distances, where not a sound of thee shall reach mine ears, yet near enough that thy soul may be reached by bitter curses framed by these my lips. For thou didst rob my blood of all its fire, that thou might sacrifice to thy false god that which was rightly mine and mine alone. But now this same blood's fire shall thee consume. Thou madest me trust in vain imaginings. And that this might be so, thou first didst make a pictured falsehood of my very self. Often had I to mark how from my soul each deed and thought turned to its opposite. So now doth turn what once was love for thee into the fire of wild and bitter hate. Through all worlds will I seek to find that fire which can consume thee. I curse. Ah, woe. Johannes, who speaketh here? I do not see my friend. I hear instead some gruesome being speak. Benedictus, thy friend's soul hovers in the heights above. Only her mortal image hath she left here with us. And where'er a human form is found bereft of soul, there is the room sought by the enemy, the foe of good, to enter into realms perceptible, and find some carnal form through which to speak. Just such an adversary spake e'en now, who would destroy the work imposed on me, for thee, my son, and millions yet unborn. Were I to deem these wild anathemas which our friend's shell did utter here and now, aught else but some grim tempter's cunning skill, thou durst not follow more my leadership. The enemy of good stood by my side, and thou hast seen into the darkness plunged all that is temporal of that dear form, for whom, my son, thy whole love burns and glows. Since to her mouth spirits spake oft to thee the karma of the world, could not restrain hell's princes also speaking thus through her. Now only mayest thou seek her very soul and learn her nature's inmost verity. For she shall form for thee the prototype of that new higher life of humankind to which thou dost aspire to raise thyself. Her soul hath soared aloft to spirit heights where every man may find his being's source which springs to life and fullness in himself. Thou too shalt follow her to spirit realms and see her in the temple of the sun. Within this circle there is formed a knot of threads which karma spins, world-fashioning. My son, since thou hast now attained thus far, thou shalt still further pierce beyond the veil. I see thy star in fullest splendor shine. There is no place within the realm of sense for strife, such as men wage when they do strive and struggle after consecration's gift. Whate'er the outer world of sense begets, of riddles soluble 
by intellect. Whate'er this world engenders in man's heart, born though it be of love or bitter hate, and howsoever direful its results, the spirit-seeker must attain the power in all these things to stand unmoved, serene, casting his gaze all unperturbed and calm upon the scene where such contentions rage. For him must other powers unfold themselves, which are not found upon this field of strife. So didst thou need to fight to prove thy soul in combat, such as comes to him alone, who finds himself accoutred for such powers as do belong unto the spirit worlds. And had these powers found thee not ripe enough to tread the path of knowledge, they needs must have maimed thy powers of feeling, ere thou daredst to know all that which now is known to thee. The beings who can gaze into world depths lead on those men who would attain the heights, first to that summit whence it may be shown whether there lies in them the power to reach to conscious sight within the spirit realms. And those in whom such powers are found to lie are straightway from the world of sense set free. The others all must wait their season due. But thou, thou hast preserved thyself, my son. When powers on high stirred to its depths thy soul and potent spirits shrouded thee with fear, Right powerfully thyself hath fought its way, even though thy very heart was torn by doubts that willed to thrust thee into darksome depths. True pupil of my teaching hast thou been, first since that hour so fraught with fate for thee, when thou didst learn to doubt thy very self and gavest up thyself as wholly lost. but yet the strength within thee held thee fast. Then might I give thee of my treasured store of wisdom, whence to draw the strength to stand assured, even when mistrusting thine own self. Such was the wisdom which thou didst attain more steadfast than the faith once given to thee. Ripe wast thou found, and thou mayest be set free. Thy friend hath gone before, and waits for thee in spirit worlds, and thou shalt find her there. I can but add this guidance for thee now. Kindle the full power of thy soul with words which through my lips shall grant to thee the key to spirit heights, and they will lead thee on when naught else leads that eyes of sense can see. Receive them in the fullness of thy heart. Quote, the weaving essence of the light streams forth through depths of space to fill the world with life. Love's grace doth warm the centuries of time to call forth a revelation of all worlds. And spirit messengers come forth to wed the weaving essence of creative light with revelation of the souls of men. And that man who can wed to both of these his very self he lives in spirit heights. Close quote. O spirits who are visible to man, quicken with life the soul of this our son. From inmost depths may there stream forth for him that which can fill his soul with spirit light. From inmost depths may there resound for him that which can wholly wake in him his self 
to the creative joy of spirit life. A spirit voice behind the stage. To founts of worlds primeval, his surging thoughts do mount. What as shadow he hath thought, what as fancy he hath lived, soars up beyond the world of form and shape, on whose fullness pondering mankind in shadow dreams, or whose fullness gazing forth mankind in fancy lives. End of scene. The music starts while the curtain slowly falls. Steiner again. Those were the tones with which our dear friend Aronson expressed in music what arises in my work as the echo from the higher worlds in the soul of Johannes Tomasius, after he has shown himself capable, following the great event presented in the meditation room, truly to be able to rise to higher worlds. He has emerged from this experience with maturity. We should see something in the words which concluded the recitation, sounding from the spiritual world, in a very real way, into the soul, which to a certain degree has passed the test, if we may put it like that. The gravity is occasionally quietly indicated in words which contain more than we might initially think. To begin with, we have to be clear that a knot is tied out of the threads of cosmic karma, which, at a holy sight, places before Johannes Tomasius a fact of the most magnificent and mightiest kind in its action. What actually happens? Johannes Tomasius has to experience that a soul with which he is karmically connected in a wonderful way, as is shown later on in the Devakan scene, ascends into the spiritual world directly before him. It is a world historical moment when such a soul ascends into the spiritual world. We cannot now, of course, refer to everything connected with such a moment, but it is most certainly a real fact which anyone who is familiar with occult life knows in its terribly mighty shape with its light and shadow side. And such a person also then knows what happens in that respect in the physical world, when the tremor occurs that a soul directly disappears into the spiritual worlds, not in the serene progress of its own karma, but called upon by cosmic karma. These are moments which are important for the evolution of humanity. But these are also the moments in which real existing powers of temptation, which look into our physical world from the spiritual world in the same way as the good powers do, have the power to acquire physical envelopes which have been abandoned and turn them into the scene of the deceit and power of their temptation. Those are points which can be attacked. That is where they are released, as it were. And then the circumstances occur in which maya comes to expression in the most terrible way. A person who perhaps has not advanced far cannot resist the minor deceptions of karma. But with regard to the major deceptions of karma, when it presents something of which at a certain level of development we can no longer fully believe that it could be like that, the soul recoils, which has not passed through certain abysses of life. We can imagine that some might say they would have withstood what happened in the meditation room, but let them actually be there. 
the reality is something quite different from what we imagine in our thoughts. In reality, there are still other forces involved. Anyone who does not believe that should try to imagine whether they have ever had the real experience of a human body which has been abandoned by its soul. People only know human bodies which are ensouled. There are simply other forces at play. And in order to withstand these forces, Johannes Tomasius had to be led precisely to this point in cosmic karma. Now, there are two things here. Johannes Tomasius first had to undergo what we normally call kamaloka. That is the world in which what we are ourselves appears to us like a mirror image, we might say. That is again something which appears a lot easier than when it happens in reality. And when it occurs in reality, then it is not a picture restricted in space which tells us what it is, but it murmurs to us from all parts of the world. Then the whole world is us. That is why in the scene in which it is shown how Johannes Tomasius descends into the depths of his soul, where he is under rocks and springs, it is not any single reflection which he implores, which speaks to him out of his soul, but everything resounds toward him, rocks and springs, the whole surroundings. And it happens that in such a moment the words which seem so tame in cosmic theories, in philosophical and intellectual works, turn into terrible forces. They resound from out of the whole world, as if reflected from everywhere, out of infinite space, and are captured in the individual events of nature. Know thou thyself, O man. That is how they resound, when they are heard after they have lived in the soul for years and years. Then the soul faces itself in its loneliness, in its great abandonment. There is nothing other than the world. But this world is the soul itself, and this world contains everything that the soul itself is, including what is its karma, everything that it has done. In a work of poetry only individual things can be highlighted. An old deed, the abandonment of a person, occurs. But it appears before Johannes Tomasius's soul in all its living nature. I can only cite individual words. In this context, Johannes Tomasius loses what he has to lose, the trust in himself, in his strength, even in being able to find healing in solitude for what causes him such torments on the physical plane when he hears it from out of the physical plane. Hence these words which I would ask you to take in the way they should be taken as bursting the boundaries of the soul and filling it completely. When Johannes Tomasius hears out of all worlds the words, Know thou thyself, O man, his soul responds as if his I, capital, were not present. Quote, Tis thus I hear them, now these many years, these words of weighty import all around. I hear them in the wind and in the wave. Out from earth's depths do they resound to me. And as a tiny acorn's mystery confines the structure of a mighty oak, so in the kernel of these words there lies all elemental nature. All I grasp of soul, of spirit, time, eternity. It seems mine own peculiarities and all the world besides live in these words. 
Know thou thyself, O man, know thou thyself. But which receives a mighty answer? Know thou thyself, O man. Then the whole interior turns around. And now I feel mine inmost being terrified to life. Without the gloom of night doth weave me round, and deep within my soul thick darkness yawns. And sounding from this universal gloom, and up from out the darkness of my soul, these words ring forth, Know thou thyself, O man. From the springs and rocks resounds, Know thou thyself, O man. Close quote. You have to imagine the self going along with the world process. Normally we stand there, go with the hours, and do not follow what is happening. We do not know what is happening and think that we are in our interior. But this happens knowingly. Knowingly he follows all elemental forces, goes with the course of the hours through the day and transforms into night. Quote, the earth I follow on its cosmic course. I seem to rumble in the thunder's peal and flash adown the lightning's fierce forked tongue. Close quote. Everything gives him the impression, I am. That is the moment in which the I am becomes the demon of its own soul. In the face of that, all self-assertion of the human being falls silent. And no sooner have we tried to speak it, the I am, than our own soul says, quote, Mine own existence snatched away from me. Close quote. Then our own being appears in a restricted way, in a limited shape. Quote, I see what was my former carnal shape as some strange being quite outside myself and infinitely far away from me, but now another body hovers near. Close quote. Now he can speak not just with his own mouth, but with the mouth of the other person. Here we have the person to whom he did an injustice. Quote, a bitter sorrow hath he brought to me, so utterly I trusted him of old. He left me lonely with my sorrow's pain. He robbed me of the very warmth of life and thrust me deep beneath the chill, cold ground. Quote. And now, back again into his own body, quote, Poor soul, tis she I left, and leaving her it was in truth mine own self that I left. And I must suffer all her pain and woe. For knowledge hath endowed me with the power myself into another self to fuse. Close quote. That is the beginning of a path which is then still characterized with the words which are meant to indicate at the end of the scene how the world and how solitude work. In the world everything that flows from the outside works in the most terrible way. From inside those things are at work which come from the inside, so that solitude is the most populated thing there is. That is an examination which is employed for the purpose which is indicated in the words which were read to you. Quote, the beings who can gaze into world depths lead on those men who would attain the heights, first to that summit 
whence it may be shown whether there lies in them the power to reach to conscious sight within the spirit realms. And those in whom such powers are found to lie are straightway from the world of sense set free. The others all must wait their season due. Close quote. At the moment we face here, consciousness would be lost and Johannes Tomasius would be thrown back into the sensory world if he had not been steadfast in the scene I indicated where he faces his own self. Two things are relevant here. Our own self, insofar as it has knowledge, has little strength. That deprives it of self-confidence. But it contains the eternal I, capital, of which it is not aware. That has great strength. That keeps him upright and allows him to surmount what he experiences in the meditation room as the desouling of Maria. Then all he needs is to be led upward through Benedictus's words, through the power of those words. And you have to see a secret of words in the words which were read to you. What is meant with them cannot simply be written in any old way, as so many other things can. These lines contain real cosmic forces right down into the sounds, and so the sounds cannot actually be changed. The opening of the gate to the spiritual world is truly given in these words. That is why they really have to be taken as they are said here. Something like this cannot be arbitrarily compiled. These lines, for example, quote, The weaving essence of the light streams forth through depths of space to fill the world with life. Love's grace doth warm the centuries of time to call forth a revelation of all worlds. And spirit messengers come forth to wed the weaving essence of creative light with revelation of the souls of men. And that man, who can wed to both of these his very self, he lives in spirit heights. Close quote. Only then can sound into the soul from the other world what is intended to sound into it. But all of these things are just individual indications, as I said. Now, Johannes Tomasius is really removed to the spiritual world, but he cannot directly ascend to the spiritual world to which everyone must ascend. He has to pass through the astral world. So then you have in the fourth scene a representation of the astral world, in the way that Johannes Tomasius specifically has to experience it, in accordance with his particular individual prerequisites. It is not a general description of the astral world, but a description of this world in the way that Johannes Tomasius has to experience it in specific examples. This astral world is different from the physical one. Here it is possible to see a human being we encounter as they were several decades ago, or we see a young person, how they will be in the future. Those are all realities. In your soul you are still the same person today as you were when you were a three-year-old child. What you see in the astral world is nothing like what the outer physical image of the human being shows. The physical image of the human being at every moment hides what was warranted beforehand and what will be warranted afterward. So the gaze into the astral world has to achieve, above all, that we overcome the first maya of the sensory world 
and see through time in its illusory power. That is why in the astral world Johannes Tomasius sees the person whom he has learned to know on the physical plane as Capacius as he was when he was a young person. And he sees the person with whom he became acquainted in the physical world as Strader, as he will be when he is an old man. What does that mean? Johannes Tomasius knows Strader as he is now in the sensory world with the powers which are now in his soul on the physical plane. But that contains the prerequisites for what he will be decades later. We have to recognize that in this way if we want to learn about the human being. So time is torn apart. Time really is quite an elastic concept when we ascend into the higher worlds. From the physical world, Johannes Tomasius knows Capacius when he is old and Strader when he is young. Now they stand next to one another in the astral world, Capacius young and Strader old. Here time is not stretched forward and backward, but it is such that the one is shown in his youth and the other in old age. That is a perfectly real fact. But something else is connected with that which actually reveals itself and which people today ridicule. And this is that there is more to our soul experiences than we normally think, that good and evil are not experienced in the soul unpunished. Thus, for example, if we have a terrible or unjust thought, this radiates into the depths of the world and then radiates back again. And that we are connected in our soul experiences with the elemental forces in nature. That is not an image. It is a reality in an occult sense, when Capacius is taken before the spirit of the elements who guides every human being into their existence. Then it is actually also the case that Capacius stands before those things which are linked with the spirit of the elements. And what is linked with this is that when we experience anything in our soul, it is connected with the elemental forces in nature. It is revealed to Johannes Tomasius that Capacius and Strader too can stir up the antagonistic forces in nature. That is why thunder and lightning follow in this world in response to what they experience themselves in their souls, in pride or arrogance, in error or in truth or lies. In the physical world, what people have in their soul as error or lies is something quite peculiar. Someone might stand before us, for example, in whose soul there live error and lies, but he stands quite innocently before us. Yet at the moment in which we turn our astral gaze on him, storms rage which we otherwise see only in the most terrible discharge of the elements on earth. Johannes Tomasius has to live through all that and also all the things which can be revealed to him in the astral world of the peculiar connections which were not yet recognized by him when he encountered them on the physical plane. The kind of designations which we find in this Rosicrucian mystery are not accidental. Designations such as, for example, the other Maria and so on all indicate certain relationships so that the one and the other Maria are not merely the two Marias but present themselves as the Marias with regard to all other people. And the other Maria, the mysterious figure of nature, 
reveals for Johannes Thomasius the soul which lives under the normal conscious soul, remaining unheard and unperceivable for as long as human beings live only in the physical world. But you must not take these relationships and figures as symbols. In all these things the other Maria is in turn a real figure, just like the first Maria, a reality. And that is the only way they should be taken. That is what they are. Everything that Johannes Tomasius experienced has passed before the eye of his soul, E.Y.E. He has experienced the astral world. He can now bring this to consciousness when he says, quote, So do I find within the soul's domain those men who are already known to me. First he who told us of Felicia's tales, though here I saw him in his youthful prime, and also he who in his younger days had chosen for his life monastic rule, as some old man did he appear. With them there stood the spirit of the elements. Close quote. Johannes Tomasius has undergone all the things which destroy, as it were, time in front of his gaze. And what is it for which he has now become mature? He has become mature to turn his gaze into the astral world. Is the astral world free of delusion? No, it is not. But human beings can become certain of one thing in the astral world. And one thing becomes a certainty for human beings in the astral world if they enter it in purity, not with guilt, namely that there is a higher world which shines into the astral world, like the astral world into the ordinary physical world. The only question is whether they can see it as it is in reality. The people who wander around in the world are themselves only a kind of mirage, so that they themselves have something behind them which leads them into the higher world so that they stand out against something quite different from what they might have been long or not so long ago, what they will become in the future. But certain delusions do not show us the astral world, with which we are very much intertwined in the sensory world. Thus, for example, they do not show the relationship between the great forces of existence, the relationship between will, love, and wisdom. That is something which is so difficult to recognize in its truth that it remains hidden in the astral world for a long, long time. It is not so easy to get behind that. And the relationships which are delusions in the sensory world continue into the astral world. Such collaboration, this is something else which can only be indicated briefly, between will, wisdom and love occurs in the physical world through human beings. In the higher worlds it happens through those beings which send in their forces when on the physical plane the forces of the occult beings are submersed in human souls. That happens through the initiates in the temples in which the human representatives of the individual cosmic forces reside, in the temples in which human beings have already advanced so far that they no longer wish to represent the whole human being at once where they have restricted themselves to representing one force. That is where these representatives reside. But when human beings look into the astral world, they can see those sites where the representatives of the will, wisdom, and love forces are in a picture filled with maya, 
And here a terrible web between delusion of the sensory world and the astral world is spun. And now I would have to speak for weeks on end if I wanted to explain what the situation is with regard to the form of higher power which presents itself as the initiate for the power of will as he is encountered by Johannes Thomasius on the physical plane and actually appears like a lightweight on the physical plane. Here the question can arise, are the archetypal forces of the will meant to exercise their influence through someone like that? And yet that is what they do. But we can understand that it is particularly through a perhaps less developed person that the force can enter which is meant to be a revelation of the forces of the will, just as the ray of wisdom can enter through a person such as Benedictus. For we have to understand the following. If we have here a wonderful flowering blossom and lay a seed next to it then, it could be that the seed, once it has grown, will produce an even more beautiful flower. We will consider the flower as something very perfect, now already, but in truth the seed is something even more perfect in the reality of the world. That is why there stand, facing one another, Benedictus, the great bearer of wisdom, and beside him the person who behaves in a curious way on the physical plane toward everything which is said about the spiritual worlds, in that he rejects all of it in a curious way. Whenever he hears the group of people speaking about the spiritual world, he says, like a person who does not want to hear anything about the spiritual worlds, quote, For my part I do seek in vain the bridge that truly leadeth from ideas to deeds. It is a person who finds what leads to deeds in quite a different place and for whom all talk about the spirit is just empty words. You could tell this person, as he now lives on the physical plane, the most beautiful things about spiritual science. It would be empty words for him. The valuable thing for him is if the wheels of the machine work. And when he hears through the other Maria, about the spiritual force which has united with her and has ignited in her the forces of feeling and love in order to do this or the other deed, he is once again the person who rejects everything and simply says, she does that because she has a good heart. He remains wholly on the physical plane and a lightweight of the physical plane, but he is an energetic, active man of will. That is why he says, quote, if this friend doth so many deeds of good, the impulse thereunto lies in herself and her warm-hearted nature, not in thought. Most certainly tis needful for man's soul after the busy day of toil and work, with noble thought to edify the mind. And yet tis only schooling of man's will in harmony with all his skill and power to undertake some real work in life, which will help forward all the human race. When whirr of busy wheels sounds in mine ears, or when I see some creaking windlass drawn by strong stout hands of men content to work, then do I sense indeed the powers of life. That is the person of will, the person of deeds. And you could talk to him about the spirit for days on end, and his response would be, you could not turn a single crank with that, 
and how would people keep themselves fed? So you can keep turning the cranks during the day, and when you have a bit of free time, we can amuse ourselves by talking about the spirit. Those are the seed forces which have not yet emerged, but they are good forces. These are forces which are very important and which radiate into the world through the powers of will. We cannot proceed on a theoretical basis in this context when people hear about spiritual worlds and receive it in different ways because it is very difficult to break through here. Anyone who fails to understand that something has to be seen in the seed which is a counter-image to the people we have just characterized experiences an illusion such as is represented in the subterranean temple. That is astral maya. Whereas what Johannes Tomasius experiences in the scene with Capacius and Strader is reality, where he sees them at different ages, describes Maya, a fata morgana, of the spiritual world in the fifth scene, which must initially discharge itself into the soul, which has to be passed through. That is why you have to take the fifth scene as something which is only justified in that reality is immediately injected into Maya. This whole scene would contribute nothing to the development of Johannes Tomasius if it did not have the same relationship to astral experience as the concepts and ideas of the physical world have to our understanding of the world. What science is for the physical plane, that the Maya temple is for the astral world. As little as the concept is something we can eat, as little the Maya temple is a reality which is rooted in the spiritual world, but the concepts have to live in the world so that a real understanding of the world can occur. And this is the only way that something can be injected from another world which does in turn provide profound enlightenment for Johannes Tomasius. He can now recognize the way in which a certain knot is spun in cosmic karma, in that Felix Balda has recognized that he should not bury the treasures of his soul by wandering through the world in solitude but that he must carry them to the temple. Not until then is the opportunity given for Johannes Tomasius to see what we might call much more real circumstances in the spiritual world, including those circumstances which are of a more subtle and intimate kind. For example, the way that the astral world reaches into the physical world, which happens when something occurs, such as the inspiration of a human being, like Capacius, through someone who themselves does not actually know how much they have in their soul. Fra Balda does not know this in the mystery. In a person who has intellect and acts on the basis of that intellect, everything passes through that intellect. That intellect contains nothing which could give us a knowledge about the forces in the world. All of that lies outside the intellect, in people who have a lot of intellect, a force which comes from the spiritual world can pass through that intellect and then continue. Then they will be able to talk in a beautifully theoretical way about the spiritual world. But the intellect has no influence on the inner occult degree, the content of the soul. Thus the things which arise from theories can enter the soul also without passing through the intellect. 
They can thus be available to a person who is receptive to their source and can call up there what Capacius, for example, describes on the physical plane. That is shown where he expresses what this woman actually means to him who lives out there in solitude with Felix Balda. When he says that he likes to listen to her speaking and that she then speaks the most profound ancient wisdom, it is important that we should fully understand what Capacius is saying. On the physical plane there is a woman whom he likes to listen to, who says things with her mouth which are full of occult sources. She cannot put it in special words. But when they reach the ears of Capacius, he can say the following, quote, If I would tell the tale, then must I touch a thing that verily doth seem to me more wonderful than much that here I've heard, in that it speaks more nearly to my soul. But were I in some other place, these words would hardly pass the barrier of my lips. Yet here they seem to flow therefrom with ease. In my soul life there often comes a time when it doth feel itself pumped out and dry. It seems as though the very fountain head of knowledge had run dry within my heart. Then can I find no word of any kind worthy to speak or worthy to be heard. This can happen. There are people who, however much they might know, feel as if things have come to an end. Quote, and when I feel such spirit barrenness, I flee to these good people and seek rest in their reviving, peaceful solitude. Close quote. Now his own soul opens, because that is where the gate into the occult world is for him. Quote, then Mistress Felicia tells me many a tale set forth in wondrous pictures, manifold, of beings dwelling in the land of dreams who lead a joyous life in fairy realms. When thus she speaks, her tone and speech recall some oft-told legend of the ancient days. I ask no question whence she finds these words, but this one thing alone I clearly know, that new life flows therefrom into my soul and sweeps away its dull paralysis. Close quote. The reality of that is seen on the physical plane by Johannes Thomasius, who is present but who first has to look into the astral world in order to be able to explain it to himself. Frau Balde in particular, therefore, appears to him in the astral image whom he now sees as she is in her shape in the physical world, and she gives the spirit of the elements one of her fairy tale pictures, of which she has told hundreds to Capacius. But now the interaction comes with what occurs below the threshold of consciousness. She tells the fairy tales to Capacius, and when she has told one which she herself does not understand, then the forces arise in his soul which banish his soul paralysis. Then he is able to tell things to his listeners again. That then sounds quite different from what Frau Felicia has told. Secret forces are also at play in Capacius. If we follow them to their origins, we find that they are in the astral world. There we can then see how they provoke counter-currents, 
and they produce the kind of echo as the words of Frau Felicia produce in the soul of Capacius everywhere where there are elemental forces. Something similar also exists with regard to our brain. A little spirit lives in our brain who might think up the most wonderful things. When we search for what he is like, out of the macrocosm, we find the earth brain. This thinks the thoughts at quite a different magnitude from how they appear in the small human brain. In their own brain, human beings do not always see what they are actually stating. But it appears grotesque when it is reflected in this giant earth brain. And it must also be reflected. Hence the relationship between German, who appears on the physical plane, and then as the spirit of the earth brain. That, too, is something about which we could speak at length. But if we would see with the astral gaze what occurs in the solitary house when Frau Felicia tells fairy tales, and we then looked at the spirit of the earth brain, then we would see many a secret. For example, how this spirit of the earth brain is an ironist, sometimes also a mocker. And he has to be inclined toward mockery because there is a lot to laugh about with regard to what human beings do. It is artistically justified that at the moment where he is displaced, he also appears in the role he so often has to play and shows himself in his true shape. There we see, after the scene in which Frau Balda has told one of her fairy tales before the spirit of the elements, an enormous effect on the spirit of the earth brain, who translates the fairy tale into quite different words. Frau Balda tells, quote, A being once did live who flew from east to west as runs the sun. He flew o'er lands and seas, and from this height he looked upon the doings of mankind. He saw how men did one another love, and how in hatred they did persecute. Yet naught could stay this being in his flight. For love and hatred none the less bring forth full many thousand times the same results. Yet o'er one house there must the being stay. For therein dwelt a tired and weary man who pondered on the love of humankind and pondered also over human hate. His contemplations had already graved deep furrows on his brow. His hair was white. And grieving o'er this man, the being lost his sun-guide's leadership and stayed with him within his room even when the sun went down. And when the sun arose again, once more the being joined the spirit of the sun, and once again he saw mankind pass through the cycle of the earth in love and hate. But when he came, still following the sun, a second time above that self-same house, his gaze did fall upon a dying man. Close quote. And the spirit of the earth brain reflects that back, in quite an unjustified way, of course. Quote, a man once lived who went from east to west, whose eager thirst for knowledge lured him on o'er land and sea, with learned pedantry he looked upon the doings of mankind. He saw how men did one another love, and how in hatred they did persecute. And every day anon he fondly hoped his wisdom's goal was now at length in sight. But though the world is ruled by love and hate, yet could he not combine them into law. A thousand single cases wrote he down, 
yet still he lacked the comprehending eye, E-Y-E. This dull, dry seeker after truth once met upon his path a being formed of light, who found existence fraught with heaviness, since it must live in constant combat with a darksome being formed of shadows black. Who art thou then? the dry truth-seeker asked. Love, said the one. The other answered, Hate. But these two beings' words fell on deaf ears. The man heard not, but wandered blindly on in his dry search for truth from east to west. These things are indeed experiences of the astral world. Johannes Tomasius has to push through them to ascend to the spiritual world. And for today I will just say briefly that a real connection with the spiritual world is necessary for Johannes Tomasius, which has already begun to be spun in the physical world in order to ascend to the spiritual world itself. And that is what you will hear afterward, the connection with the karma encompassing incarnations, which is only revealed in devakonic vision. But there the devakonic elements truly have to be at play. That is why I ask you to observe that everything lives in the weft and life of the Devakonic Ocean. Here we cannot simply give a description. We can only ever come close to an indication of some things. But if we want to give a real description, we have to go further. Do not believe that you know something when you speak of higher worlds and cite the words sentient soul, intellectual soul, and consciousness soul as referring to philia, Astrid and Luna, these three figures are not in any way personifications of those three components of the soul or symbols of them. If you listen attentively to the vowels with which these three figures describe their own occupation, and if you listen out for what lives in the vowels, you can follow how in the sequence of the individual vowels, the individual words, the thing is given which can clarify for us in quite a different way what is sentient soul, intellectual soul, and consciousness soul. And if you remove something, it is no longer the whole thing. That is why it is important to listen to the words in order to obtain an idea of the devakonic element in the consciousness soul when, for example, Luna says, quote, Soul substance will I warm, life's ether harden too that they may thus condense and may thus feel themselves as living in themselves and powerful to create, dear sister, that thou mayest prove wisdom's certainty to mankind's seeking soul. The movement of the words contains in the description of Devakan something which otherwise cannot be expressed in any other way. We also have to pay attention to that. Because we are faced with the necessity, when we speak of higher worlds, to say it in many different ways, and what I could never say theoretically about the sentient soul, intellectual soul, and consciousness soul, that you can hear, if you are willing to understand it, from what is contained in the characteristics of the three figures, Philia, Astrid, and Luna. But you will well understand that these three are not symbols or allegories for the sentient soul, intellectual soul, and consciousness soul. If you ask yourselves, what are these three, the answer is they are human beings who live there, Philia, Astrid, 
and Luna, human beings. That always has to be remembered. How karma ultimately intertwines and how we can see as an image what Johannes Tomasius experiences as microcosm in the human soul that we were able to show in the Munich performance in the whole of the final scene. The individual persons stood in their corresponding places in the way that karma works. Someone who was closer to a particular person was placed accordingly. If you imagine that as being reflected into the soul of Johannes Tomasius, then you will approximately have what is contained in this seventh scene, something it is very difficult to speak about. There follows the recitation of the seventh scene by Marie von Sievers, Marie Steiner, introduced and concluded by the music of Adolf Aronson. The end of lecture eight.